You're listening to the Boozeworks Podcast. This podcast is a service of Boozeworks Consulting, a full-service craft alcohol consulting firm. And now the host of the Boozeworks Podcast, Devin Mills. All right, well, let's bring Ryan Hembury into the show. He is the lead distiller and co-founder of Skip Rock Distillers. Uh, Ryan, welcome into the show. Hey, Devin. Thanks a lot. I appreciate it. Hey, uh, the main reason I wanted to bring you on today is to talk a little bit about your liqueurs. You guys have some kind of unique and interesting stuff, and you've yeah. been winning a ton of awards. So I wanted to kind of bring in an expert and see what you, what you had to say. Right on. Yeah. Um, gosh, we, we've been making liqueurs almost from the start, or at least it seemed like it. Um, Skip Rock Distillers, we're up in uh, just north of Seattle, Washington. We've been I think our first liqueur was a raspberry, and it was probably – um i think we made it like seven years ago and oh, wow. yeah so and it's kind of grown then and so we've got make raspberry liqueur a blackberry walnut called nocino it's a very italian style um coffee and a spiced apple now is that a coffee liqueur a cream base or is that a a normal alcohol base yeah normal alcohol base uh my wife's been she's a night she's been a coffee master for 19 years and so we uh, we do beverage and we we take care of people's vice as well. <laughs> nice. Yeah. So so you said you started off with raspberry. What made you mm-hmm. start there? Actually, it was it's kind of funny because my ba- my previous uh, life before starting the distillery I did economic development for agriculture, and so I know I've got a really good network with farmers um, north here in the northwest, and one of them called me up and said, "Hey, I've got was it like two hundred pounds of raspberries." They're organic. They're a little soft. The the retailer said they can't buy them, and I'm like, and he's like offering me like twenty cents on the dollar. I'm like, yeah, wow. I'm all over it. I'll take I'll take them. I'll be there tomorrow. And he's like, great. Oh, by the way, there's one thing. They're in like twelve ounce clamshell cases. <laughs> it's like, <laughs> I was like, all right, I can do this. And so I went up, picked them up, and uh, we had an assembly line with family members emptying these open and everything, you know, opening them up, emptying them put them in five gallon buckets because I wasn't ready for them. I didn't have alcohol for it or anything. So, but, and then froze it. And then we actually, we, we mixed it up. So it was like eliminated airspace. So there's no frostbite or anything. And so put it, yeah. I have a, and then I knew a local farmer that had a big giant deep freeze. So we stuck them in there until we were ready. And that's how are we got you started. Still, yeah. Are you still using frozen raspberries or are you trying to mainly use fresh now? Just curious from a flavor no, standpoint. No, so I would always, always use frozen. Um, that freezing process breaks the cell structure in the fruit. And I mean, think about it. If you got fresh raspberries or if you can take out, take out raspberries from the freezer and let them sit there and thaw, they're soft, they're goopy and they're running, the juice is running out of them. That's because the ice crystals basically exploded the cell structure. And so when we soak that with alcohol, you get so much of a better color and flavor transfer extraction. Yeah, that makes perfect sense. And yeah. you can get raspberries more year round instead of making it a, you know, peak of freshness type oh, deal as well. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. What are you using for your base? Uh, I mean, that that always seems to be one of the interesting questions with liqueurs is how do you choose the the base spirit to go with the the flavors? Yeah. So we've and that's kind of evolved for us. Um, I mean, Washington State's got some silly laws with um two different distilling classes, uh, licenses and everything. So at one time we were a, we had a license where we can 51% of the uh, raw materials had to come from Washington state. 
and now we have a general distiller license and we can bring in anything, which is great. But uh, even though like our, our normal like potato vodka and rye whiskey and all that, that's all Washington based fermentables. But with liqueurs, I really wanted the, the fruit or whatever it was going to be the feature to be the feature. Um, unless you're running a 60 foot column still at your craft distillery, you're not going to have a neutral, it's hard to have a, a true neutral spirit. Oh, absolutely. And I mean, we've got a, a 16 plate German still that, yeah, it's awesome. It's great. But if I have to run it through six times, <laughs> my, my cost, my cost of goods, it just skyrockets to produce it. So, um, with our coffee, raspberry, blackberry, and apple, we use a new, just a neutral uh, corn spirit. And we've, in the past, we uh, we did use um, actually a, a triticale, um triple distilled spirit for the raspberry, and we used corn spirit for the, the apple that we would produce ourselves. It just got super expensive. But uh, the, with the neutral, do you notice works. any flavor differences when you made that swap, or is it you know close? Um, I, I think it's better. I think the the true fruit flavor shines through better. It's more pure. Um, the triticale actually in the raspberry work was kind of cool. I I liked it, but I that w- we since then um, we kind of tweaked some recipes and and but then I want to go back to the nocino. Um, it's actually got a blend of uh, the neutral spirit brandy and a little bit of rum and the brandy and the rum are what we we ferment and distill those in-house now when you're saying brandy and rum are we talking you're distilling to you know 60 you know odd percent alcohol or are you trying to get a more neutral brandy rum background and you're just using it to add a little sweetness to the profile no um we we go higher than like the 60 for sure uh but it's not a neutral spirit when it when we utilize it so it's got some flavor. The rum adds a lot of vanilla notes and just uh, and sweets, and the brandy just kind of gives it some structure. Uh, so with the Nocino, uh, I mean, walnuts liqueurs are rare. Let's let's call it. Yeah. Um, yeah. Can you tell me a little bit about it? I I don't know a whole lot about them. Oh, it's actually one of my favorite things that we make. Um, if if I were forced at eleven o'clock at night, I'm doing paperwork. And if I'm thirsty for a little nightcap, it's usually Nocino on the rocks with a little orange zest, and that's it. Uh, but for the Nocino, it's it's Italian style. Um, it takes us two like at least two and a half years start to finish to make it. And which oh wow, yeah. And so that part, that first and foremost, um, it's an exercise in patience, and it's unlike whiskey where you put it into a barrel and you just forget about it. With liqueurs, especially like our Nocino. You know, we, we put it into a, um, we, we add, we soak it with the walnuts and the alcohol three to five months and extract that. We actually press it with the bladder press, the nuts. And so it's super, super bitter extraction out of that. And then just over the course of time, uh, we add, um, you know, our cane sugar, we add citrus, we add uh, a couple spices to it. And it's just sl- a slow process. And while each with each edition, we're also bringing it down in proof okay. just to not disturb it too much. And I think that by not doing disturbing it and just keeping it slow, um, it just makes a superior product. But yeah, two and a half years start to finish. It's all local walnuts. We started to make it. I've got walnut trees on my property. And uh, gosh, it's 
It's I, I describe it as nut, spice, sweet, citrus, and a little bitter. Uh, I guess to kind of go back a little bit, what proof are you starting at when you're you know soaking the walnuts initially? Um, oh gosh, anywhere from uh, 180 to 190 proof. Uh, now, is that all neutral or neutral diluted, or do you already have the the rum and brandy in there as well? Oh, for for the okay, yeah, I'll take it back. Um, for for the it will actually be right around the 180 proof. Uh, and that's with everything in there. Yeah. So you, so basically you're taking all your, your base spirits, blending them. Then you add the nuts in Yep. and get that, get that initial extraction, yep. remove it from the nuts. Mm-hmm. And then as you proof down, you add more spices as you, you go, uh, how much of that time, you know, is, you know, you said two and a half years, but is that all proofing time or how much of that is actually proofing time? I know Brandy likes to spend, you know, roughly a year proofing out is is that kind of how much time you're spending with it we a little longer okay you mean to bring it down yeah yeah we, and it, we just do it in steps um you know the five ten percent each step mm-hmm. so and, and that's something i learned um a friend of mine is i i've through the american distilling institute got to know a friend over in germany and she kind of gave me some tips on uh making the cures many many years ago and i was like oh hey that works yeah i like this makes a better product uh, aside from the proofing what were the rest of those tips well just you know i think the biggest part that i remember uh and this was like eight nine years ago so now is is go slow and i've taught um liqueur classes at the distillery two day two three day classes um i've taught down at adi conferences on liqueurs and so i'd say the biggest thing is um Go slow. Pick something that you you love to work with, the raw material. Don't pick don't pick something that's just a pain in the butt. You can't get it. It's hard because it's your passions aren't going to be you can't pour your passion into it. Um, but also pick something that's got a good story. And so you can market it. I mean, we're we're here to to sell products and, and make you know make great things and sell them and share them. And for us, like Nochino, we started, I started making it with walnuts in my backyard and I got pictures of my kids every year picking walnuts in their diapers as we, when we started. So they're, they're five and nine now, but it's, um, and I started making it before I had the distillery too. I've been making them for Nochino probably about 12, 15 years. Oh, wow. Yeah. Um, I guess I want to jump back a little bit when you're talking about ingredients, you mentioned that you use cane sugar, uh, why cane sugar? I mean, there's obviously a, a dozen different choices uh, for your sugar. Uh, was it cane sugar was easy from the store back, you know, before you were doing this as a business? Or were you actually looking for a specific profile from that sugar choice? Yeah, so um, I actually experimented with like just pure white sugar, um, turbinado type sugar, brown sugar. And we actually so we make rum as well. And uh, we use a Louisiana turbinado sugar. And it's, uh, of all things, my wife's best friend's family run the sugar co-op down in Louisiana. And her cousins um, have, I've, we've been down on their 1,500-acre sugar uh, cane farm and seen where, you know, some of the, the sugar cane is, is grown uh, for, that we use. So uh, we've, we'll bring in that sugar, that Louisiana turbinado sugar. And so that's, we found it makes a really nice, it, it, it's got that a little bit of molasses on the outside. And so it just gives it a little different flavor profile that works just perfectly for Nochino. And we use it in our blackberry. We use it in our apple raspberry. We use more just a pure white sugar. 
it's cane sugar as well, but just pure white because mm-hmm. I want that brightness to come to pop through. Well, how about with your coffee? Is that different as well? Uh, coffee's got um, well, actually, coffee's got a little bit of a mix. It's got a little bit of turbinado, but uh, also we utilize some cane in there too. Interesting, and that's just yeah. again for flavor profile. You're not necessarily exactly. doing it's, it for it viscosity hits, or anything. No, it hits the flavor profile I'm looking for. Um, I've I got a, I studied winemaking at um, Washington State University for two years before starting the story, and I, I kind of they they talked a lot about um, flavor profile and balanced flavors, and you know mouthfeel and all those kind of things. And I think it kind of it took a while, but it all sunk in and how to take what I've learned over the years. I started making beer when I was like 19 and, um, no, of course never drank it. Just made oh, it. Of course not. No, that's, <laughs> and, uh, I'd be wrong. Yeah. And so I've had a, a good, what, 25 plus year, uh, run of just having fun with making different type of fermentables and spirits. Makes sense. And so I, I like to experiment. So that's why we decided to experiment with different sugars, see what we like the best. Uh, I guess that's a, a great segue for me. Uh, you guys make a bunch of liqueurs. Uh, mm-hmm. Generally speaking, the liqueur segment is small and shrinking, uh, at least here inside the U.S. Uh, it seems a lot of distillers have gone to moonshine and flavored moonshines to fill that same niche. Uh, why are you guys still making liqueurs? Why haven't you just started calling it spiced apple moonshine? You know, I, a big part of it is our tasting room. Um, is We've got this small little town called Snohomish up here and it's a little tourist destination uh which is pretty neat and we we just started we create different things um you know a friend of mine has an apple orchard here in western washington he's like hey can we can we do something with my extra apples and that's how the spiced apple was created same with the blackberry liqueur the same one of my same farmers that raises raspberries has blackberries so we went ahead and started we tried we did that and and then, you know, because we have coffee in my, my, uh, with my wife, and so we looked at doing that. And we actually made coffee liqueur for somebody else for a number of years before we did our own. Hmm. Um, and so it just, it's kind of grown organically. It wasn't by any means when we set out like, oh, we're going to become, we're going to have five different liqueurs in our portfolio. It's grown from our customers coming in saying, oh, my gosh, what, what, what do you have now? What's new? Uh, what's different? What can't I find anywhere else? And it definitely helps for classic, a lot of classic cocktails, um, classic mixology, these utilizing these liqueurs as modifiers. Mm-hmm. And, um, and it just kind of in a way just tells our story of working with local farmers and getting the best, making the best product we can. Yeah, that, that makes perfect sense. Are you seeing any, I don't know, uh, change in market share due to uh, all the moonshines that are that are popping up, or do you still see your liqueur segment is you know distinct and different from all those moonshines? I think it's definitely distinct and different, and and because we've when we're working with a, a restaurant or bar account, um, you know, we will take if they've got a flavored vodka, um, a raspberry vodka, say like a raspberry flavored vodka, and we'll take our raspberry liqueur and they you know we're look we'll create the same cocktail and we're kind of tweak it a little bit the the liqueur um let's say basically a a fruit liqueur has so much more pop to it than a moonshine would um because of the sweet notes because the acids typically added to it or you know the acid balance in creating that and so it to me uh i'm like when we create the raspberry liqueur 
It's not overly sweet though. It's it's just got a lot of pop to it. It's um, got some tannic seed structure in there too, and uh, you just can't get that from a moonshine liqueur that's made in a week and a half and bottled up and out the door. So you're thinking it's more the time extraction is allowing those complex flavors. Uh, I guess to cycle back, we talked about how long uh, that nochino takes. Uh, you've got your frozen raspberries. What is your process look from a time scale for for making your your raspberry liqueur so raspberry liqueur um probably my my ideal is about four months start to finish um three months uh can be done and it's the the change is pretty minuscule but i notice it and our my production manager he notices as well so um but you know it's but we're that's like hyper in tune with all that kind of like what the flavor changes in each batch and everything. Um, and so it's cause we're still small batch, you know, production. And mm-hmm. when you're making 200 gallon batches or something like that, there's super, there's, there's very minor changes. Um, and it could be if raspberries from one side of the field to another, um, that can make a difference in flavor profile. So that's kind of another thing when people are making the cure something to be knowledgeable of, is you are making a uh, utilizing raw material from a farm that does change year to year, um, farm to farm, varieties to varieties. So it's it's something to be thoughtful of when you're in production and kind of have that. What is my flavor profile for this product? Is there do you have allowances um, one way or the other? You know, is this kind of like your target zone? If that makes sense. Yeah, that- yeah, that make that makes a ton of sense. So is that three to four months sitting on the berries and then you proof down after that, or is that you're proofing down while you're on the berries? Total production time. Um because we're using a real high proof, especially with the the, the fruit, the is just about a month and a half month per, um maceration time on that on that. And then after that we we rack that off, press them, uh and I mean, we used to hand press them in nylon bags and stuff. And now we've got a nice bladder press. It makes it easy um, and a lot more efficient. Yeah. And <laughs> uh, we, we just had, you know, just red hands for a while when we first started production. <laughs> but, you know, when you, when, when it's, uh, well, that's what you got, that's what you got. So, um, but yeah, I, it's that start to finish time. And then, you know, each kind of step is within that. Uh, something you mentioned a, a couple times is that you're you're relatively low sugar on these liqueurs. What does low sugar mean to you? Oh my gosh, it's. Um, I mean, I, I I'll be honest. We've had it tested, and I don't remember off the top of my head. But to me, a big part is just um, when someone takes a sip. They, you know, how many times have I heard? Oh my gosh, it doesn't taste like cough syrup, or it our coffee liqueur doesn't taste like this giant uh name you know name that everyone has heard of that doesn't use real coffee (laughs) uh coffee beans and so it's um it's just it's a taste profile it's something that's not sickingly sweet um you know the raspberry liqueur i mean how many are are we joke with our uh like i say a raspberry liqueur our key demographic is probably 21 years old, male, female, it's about 85, male, female. Oh, wow. Because there's, there's no, I mean, there's so, I mean, I've seen guys pick up bottles, go on fishing trips and then, you know, mid thirties and it just, it doesn't matter. It's, uh, 
it's all over the board. Hmm. That that's actually really cool. You're able to accomplish that. Yeah, it's, it's I think that like that alone is like wow, that's that's neat to see, and that's a, a vote of confidence in the product, and people love it. You know, it's like uh, you mentioned awards um, last month, American Distilling Institute. We took best of class, and uh, so top liqueur in that competition with our raspberry. 2017, we did the same thing, and then just last Thursday, or last yeah, for us just recently, last week, uh, the World Liqueur Awards over in Europe, the raspberry took uh, best world's best fruit liqueur, and those were actually two separate batches of raspberry liqueur. Interesting. And we we went back and, and checked to see like okay when would we when did we pull them you know bottled and that kind of stuff, and that. When we saw that, I was like, wow, that's cool. Two separate batches, and they both were kind of at the top of their game. Do they taste the same to you between those two batches? Do you have that kind of consistency? Or is, you know, batches, obviously, you're, again, organic products, you're going to have variation. When you taste, you know, the batch that won one award versus the batch that won the other, how close are they? I can, I oftentimes can, yes, can taste it, a difference. But I'm also no. I'm kind of checking each product for uh, the different highs, lows, mid, you know, midpoints that we look for. Um, and so I'm super picky. I'm, the, I'm my, you know, my biggest critic, absolutely. So I can notice a difference, uh, but it's super, super minor. Um, anytime you have a very expressive, I think uh, product, it, it's easy to, for, at least for me, to see differences in flavor there. But it's I would say 99% of the people wouldn't probably not notice a difference and you definitely would never see a difference in a cocktail. Yeah, no, I mean, cocktails lose a lot and I'm sure a lot of it's just due to your familiarity with the product. Exactly. And that's, and that's just the reality of a small batch. I mean, anyone that tells me that, um, over, over a year of producing a product and if they're making a hundred, 200, 300, 500 batch, you know, gallons at a time that they're not going to have some kind of batch, uh, flavor change or uh, profile change a little bit, you know, up or down. I mean, that's, that's crazy. I don't see how it's possible. Well, and with organic ingredients, you know, this yeah. batch came from this field or even this side of the field, like you were talking about yeah. earlier. I, and it, to take it back a little bit though, we do have a big tank that we do our constant blending with. Um, and so it just kind of depends on, on production cycle. So like, you know, Nochino, I've got an 800 gallon blending tank for Nochino. It's probably the only one in the United States <laughs> that big. <laughs> yeah, it's yeah. not a not a tiny tank. Yeah, so blending takes are that consistency for blending takes is also real important. Uh, one last thing I want to get to before I let you go. Uh, everybody loves coffee liqueur. Obviously, there's some big name brands, but a lot of craft distillers make yeah. it as well. Um, you, you talked a little bit about you know kind of your your wife's connection to the beans themselves. What do you? doing with those beans once you get them in-house how, how does the process of making coffee liqueur work yeah so i mean kind of goes back so i made like i made a coffee liqueur for another um contract for somebody else and so we're familiar with the process we decided to do our own coffee that coffee roaster went out business and so we actually went back to the guy that we worked with originally it's called vista claire coffee up here in um in snohomish he, found, he co-founded Seattle's Best Coffee. So the guy has been 30 plus years in the coffee industry. And we tried a lot of different blends. Um, and we do an 18, about an 18-hour cold brew uh, to extract just uh, super, super silky smooth uh, cold brew coffee out of that from those beans. And 
we have the, they grind it for us with the toddy blend, uh, grind and everything. But then when we go ahead and we soak that, we uh, hang dry our bags, dry, you know, just big coffee bags that we, we figured out the best system for. And we just, we go ahead. Um, and so we've got this 18 hour cold brew. That's just incredible flavor. I, I made the mistake once of dipping my coffee mug and, <laughs> and, and I, I had left coffee. So I'm like, I'm going to have some of this. Oh my gosh. Halfway, halfway through it. And, uh, I, I felt this jolt of caffeine. It was crazy, but you never know it because it's so smooth. Yep. That's awesome. Yeah. Um, are you, I mean, obviously since you're talking cold brew, you're making your coffee with water. Uh, why don't you use an ethanol extraction directly on the beans? You know, it's, it's, we want to get the maximum round coffee flavors and it's, we just found better, a better flavor profile. We, we played around with different extraction methods, honestly, hot, cold, uh, and everything. And, and also for simplicity, it's, and it's just a time honored process that when when done right it's easy to to do in the evening um or you know before you leave for work come back in the morning and uh everything's soaked and done you just you know able to start lift up the bags and and start your next process of adding some cane sugar um and cycling that through adding um the alcohol and letting it rest that so uh i guess me jump in a process there so you you make the yeah. coffee then you're adding sugar, then you're adding yep. your booze. Yep. Is that so you can sugar your coffee appropriately? What's with the order of operations there? You know, it's because we have a recipe because I know we know exactly what, what, what to do. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, and it just, uh, one way in, it almost doesn't matter for us, which way we do it. Uh, it's just part of the process. Okay, that makes sense. I was just curious if yeah, there was a reason it tasted better no, or blended smoother or whatever. I can't tell you if there was or not. I'll be honest. Uh, I don't remember. There may have been, but it just came to the point where you know you just you set your uh, your process in, in order and just that's what you do. Yeah. No. That, I mean, I get following the recipe. I was just curious about the the initial. So yeah. eight, eighteen hours to soak the coffee, mm-hmm. then you blend in sugar and then alcohol. How long does proofing take from from that point? What is what does the rest of the process look like? I mean, you can make a, a pretty decent coffee liqueur in a month, start to finish. Um, I like to give it two to three months, and just to allow everything to rest um, after we do all the proofing and everything. But we aren't. Uh, I think with the coffee, we just don't see as much on the time benefit of if you know if we give it lots of time. There's a point where it's like, okay, nothing's happened, nothing's changed, versus like Nochino. Um, for some reason, the apple liqueur likes to take extra time and to kind of fully mature. And so the coffee is like two to three months. Uh, we can proof it down pretty quickly, um, relative, but and and then just kind of let it sit and kind of hang out for a month at least. And uh, then we start looking at doing the bottling and filtering. Uh, what filtering are you doing? We do a very minimal filtering. Um, honestly, we, we rely a lot on gravity to do the work for us and letting try not to disturb it. Once once a, a liqueur is done and made, it's like okay, just let it let it chill for a while, and so it can go ahead and um, settle out naturally as much as possible. And then, but we do we have an inline filtration on our bottling setup um, as well that that works. We've honestly we we played with. Um, 
some pretty high filtration levels with like our spiced apple liqueur. One of the, remember we entered a competition. One of the, and one of the, the some of the feedback we got was it wasn't clear, like crystal, it wasn't crystal clear, and it was kind of more looked like a a, a cider, if you would, uh, like a fresh cider, uh, but little little easier to see through. And so we tried playing with different uh, plate frame filtrations, and I got it crystal clear, but it just lost so much taste and mouthfeel and everything to it that I just kind of after that said forget it. You know, it's it's we do a half micron and that's it on on the apple. That makes sense. So yeah, uh, I guess what are you, you know, what are you filtering out? I mean, like let's say with your your coffee liqueur, it's you know basically water that's already been filtered with the the coffee process. Your sugar's fully dissolved. Uh, are you seeing sediment from the water you're adding as as proofing no. occurs? What what do you think is being no, we're using, out? Yeah, we're using RO water. Uh, when we do, uh, when we're, you know, proofing down our products and it's going to be just sediment from the coffee, um, you know, small particulates that get through the bags, uh, raspberries and blackberries, you know, we're reusing real fruit. And so you're getting the, the small pieces of, uh, you know, little ras the hairs on the raspberries and, you know, just all the little pieces of skin and everything like that, that just somehow get mixed up pulled through the the next state the next tank the next stage uh when we're pumping something over uh and kind of racking it if you would yeah and and that makes sense for the the fruit liqueurs like i said it was just a little with with the coffee i don't know i guess i don't spend enough time staring at my coffee to see how how clear it really is well i mean if you look at if you make a cup of coffee and you let it sit um for a day and you slowly pour off the top at the bottom, you, you might you, you might have been in your coffee pot and how you grind the, the beans, a little bit of sediment at the bottom. And well, interesting. Yeah, so it's it's just over time, um, especially when you look at working on a big scale, um, there may be something there. Uh, one last thing before you go, looking into the future. Um, you guys make a bunch of cool whiskeys and stuff like that. I'm seeing more trends with a whiskey base for liqueurs. Are you guys experimenting with anything kind of along that kind of line? You know, we've we kind of looked at that. Um, I think we're going to, uh, as of right now, definitely we're steering clear. Um, we, with our, we, our whiskey, we make rye whiskey. That's our focus whiskey. And, for us, that is uh, trying to keep our whiskey focus as pure as possible. Um, but and then with the liqueurs, um, keeping them as they are now. So I mean, we we've played around with some ideas, and uh, I, I won't get into those yet because they're not out there yet. <laughs> but we we we've had some ideas, and, and I guess I'll I'll leave it with when I teach the classes is don't be afraid to utilize a different alcohol base besides NGS. Um, so you hit the you know the idea of rum, brandy, gin, uh, even different types of vodka, whatever your raw material is. But, you know, a wheat, an apple, and potato vodka makes a very different vodka base for a liqueur, um, your end product wise. And so, some experimentation is a lot of fun. Uh, it is that. Well, Ryan, thank you so much for coming on the show. I appreciate you spending a little time sharing your expertise yeah, yeah. with us. Uh, thank you very much, Evan. Talk to you later sometime. All right. Bye. Bye.
Thanks for listening to this episode of the BoozeWorks podcast. If you have a topic or question you'd like us to focus on for a future podcast, send us an email to podcast at boozeworks.com. Happy crafting and cheers. Cheers.